the digital transition. Digital Transition, a podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies, where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the Digital Transition, podcast number 17. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrandt, and today I'm talking with Tim Mumford. Tim Mumford is a Senior Project Manager within the Department of Treasury and Finance in the Victorian Government. He's been involved in the development of the Victorian Digital Asset Strategy, or VDAS as it's called by acronym. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today, Tim. Thanks for having me. So for the listeners that aren't aware of who you are, and, and you have, and one thing that I can say is, as much like the Queensland government's approach, I'm very excited to see uh, the opportunity for yourself and Colette to have gone out to conferences around Australia and also Melbourne to present on this document. Can you just share us a little bit about yourself for, for the people who haven't attended those events? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm an engineer by trade, an electrical engineer by trade. I also got an MBA. I cut my teeth in the asset management uh, community uh, down at the power station. And then I joined oil and gas, so was overseas for quite some time, uh, working on rigs and uh, doing some really high profile projects there. And then came back to Australia and then did some consulting in projects. So I was doing a lot of work for some big uh, private investment uh, players and then came and joined the Victorian government, worked in the Office of Projects Victoria and now I work under Dr. Claire Burke who's the Victorian Chief Engineer uh, and we're very passionate about uh, making changes and supporting the engineering community and things that they can do uh, to make a difference to the, to the lives of Victorians every day. Yeah, yeah no, well, that's a very important point and you almost might have answered my next question straight out of that one last <laughs> sentence but why was the Victorian Digital Asset Strategy created? Uh, the VDAS was created to drive towards collaboration. Uh, it's, it's value for Victorians. That's, that's the end goal for all of us, to create measurable value on our capital works and digital assets. It's consistency in the way that we define, operate, manage our assets moving forward. Um, it's it's just best practice. It's moving towards international best practices, both in terms of asset management as well as digital engineering, the ways that we get to there. And I think at the at the end of the day, public servants such as myself should be driving towards better outcomes for Victorians and the end user for uh, for our infrastructure assets. No, it's important to understand that, and I think that's something that that most taxpayers would greatly value when mm. they, when they understand the complexity of what this actually 100%. is. For, for those that haven't had the chance to read the document yet, it's it's reasonably comprehensive and, and reasonably detailed. And, you know, there's there's a comparison of documents, I guess you could say. You've got a Queensland document that's five pages and this document here, which is I think it's about 63, I think, from memory. It's been a while since I've looked at it. Can you just describe for the listeners that haven't had a chance to read this document yet um, about talk about, I guess, the priorities of the strategy and the strategy and the goals yep. in and around that area? The VDAS strategic framework is the first of the, the series of VDAS um, and it, it narrows down what DE or digital engineering and BIM could be for the state. 
I guess one of the challenges of building information modeling or BIM is the fact that it's such a broad church, it's such a broad topic, and it touches literally everything that we do um, when we're creating an asset. And so the VDAS strategic framework aims to uh, narrow some of that scope down to the things that are important within the policy framework of Victoria. The vision of uh, VDAS is to create and enhance digital assets that inform the physical delivery um, throughout the asset life cycle. Uh, and, and the last point there is really important. People such as myself, engineers, typically involved in the, the creation of an asset, we might be on a project for, say, five years, and by the time that project's completed at mechanical completion, we have to operate that asset uh, as a state uh, for, the, for, the, for the next 50 years. And so the focus should be on how we operate that asset, how we use that asset, how Victorians use that asset. And if we haven't got that first and foremost um, in any policy we write in terms of assets, um, I think we've missed the mark. So it's providing, I guess, essentially a direction for industry so there's certainty for them as well. Precisely. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a confidence to industry that's also moved in the right direction. Um, and a lot of industry has from the fabricator level right down the supply chain all the way up to constructors and, and head contractors with the state are making moves in, in both digital engineering and BIM uh, and we want to give them a vote of confidence that this is the way forward uh, and this is something that the Victorian government is, is, in, is very interested in pursuing. It's, it's certainly important. So the strategic framework document that was released in February this year is obviously the first of a series of outputs and obviously... I've been aware through a Building Smart calendar that I saw at an event last week up in Brisbane that, that you're very close to actually releasing one of your first guidance documents. Can you advise, I guess, for those that haven't read the document, a little bit about this suite of guidance documents that you plan to release? And, and obviously within government, things aren't you know, guaranteed in terms of dates, but I guess the time frame, you know, that, that, that people may expect to see these documents. Yeah, no problems at all. So the VDAS guidance itself is the more comprehensive version. It's the uh, revision up of essentially the strategic framework. Uh, and that's due to be released by the end of the year. And that really goes into the who, the why, the when across the asset life cycle. Uh, it's, it's broken up into three main phases uh, or parts. Uh, the first part is around that sort of strategic level. And that's aimed at sort of CEO, executive levels, secretaries, dep deputy secretaries, um, and aimed towards giving them the tools and the processes and, and, and highlighting the policies that, that are, are most relevant uh, in the digital engineering and BIM space and highlighting where BIM and DE and VDAS itself can support them in their, in their roles. The goal for the end of that section is really to, to say, why haven't we been doing this earlier? Part B is really aimed at that asset manager, facility manager, and it's my belief that the projects themselves, individual projects, aren't an island. They're part of a portfolio. The, the asset manager, the facility manager, that sort of central repository for where projects ebb and flow from, um, has, a, has a big role to play and, and needs to be supported in terms of VDAS, in terms of um, standards and uh, common data environments and, um, and and innovation around that space. The third part is around uh, how you actually approach a project with with VDAS and BIM in mind in a Victorian context. So it steps through the phases of the of the project itself and highlights the key components of say 19650 or 55000 or any of the other best practices or or norms within the industry 
that can make a big difference to the back end of the project and handing back to that sort of FM, AM role uh, at the end of the project and making a difference to Victorians. Now, that's a really important point I think you made in the middle of what you were just talking about then, and it's also I think the key thing as a strategy with all of this is that the government wants to achieve consistency mm. and consistency obviously mean should drive economies yep. and and consistency should also mean an ease in being able to maintain or manage these assets or being able to find the information by approaching it as a, a whole of government approach rather than individual projects and essentially creating kind of, you know, almost it might end up becoming, you know, kind of a crazy idea similar to um, that of um, virtual Australia New Zealand, but then you're creating a digital asset um, for Victorians that that they can they get substantial value. Yeah, that's right. So within that, I guess you talked about the, the, the guides themselves. The VDAS technical guides will be released throughout 2020 and 2021, uh, and they're aimed at really subject niche uh, topics that, um, that are aimed towards, say, 4D or 5D or... Um, asset management. So essentially these technical guides will focus on a particular deliverable or BIM purpose uh, in response to you know a business case to reduce risk or a business case where, where it's been identified that could reduce risk through saving you know or saving money or identifying efficiencies. Is that really kind of I guess the approach of these guides it's a suite of documents to inform industry as to how they're performed and then on the flip side as well it's also for your team of uh, project managers internally here in terms of your internal stakeholders for them to understand how to communicate or how the industry will be responding and providing that value. Uh, yeah, so the the VDAS technical guides are aimed at um, specific niche topics that deserve attention in their own right and they may not fall under the, the purview of the, of the VDAS guidance as a as a master document. So that may include stuff like cost integration or schedule integration or risk integration or um, visualization, landscaping, things like that. And the idea for those is to really lean on um, guidance as well as input from industry. And so if you are a bit of an expert in one of those niche areas, say GIS to BIM integration, then we're really keen to hear from you on how what best practice looks like in the Victorian context. So it's a it's a collaborative approach where integrating best practice from industry and I highly encourage people to come and have a chat to Tim. He's highly approachable. He even let me come and have a chat to him. But at the same time, it's also the expertise within government. So it's a collaborative approach to build a an outcome that is for the betterment of Victorian people. Yeah, very much yeah. so. It's to, it's to be a, a source of conversation. It's not mandated, uh, but if I had these kind of tools when I was a project manager, I think I would have appreciated someone having walked down this path before and I can learn from that rather than reinventing the wheel every time we do it. Yeah, and that then lines again with the with the comments you made about all projects being delivered consistently, rather yep. than having this constant reinventing of the wheel. Hundred percent. So, so moving on from the technical guides, another important part of the strategic framework is a is a, is a section regarding um, the competency framework. Yeah. So, competency is is a huge requirement um, for any of these um, approaches or 
or guidance documents or strategies to, to, to work. Can you highlight, I guess, the concepts of the competency framework and, and what you're trying to achieve with that? Yeah, sure. So the value of the competency framework is to give confidence around what are the skills, what are the traits, what are the outcomes that we're trying to achieve and how do we empower our individuals um, on both an industry side as well as a Victorian government side to make a difference in terms of VDAS implementation. Um, so the, the competency framework uh, should be around 2020. Yep. And um, we'll be leaning on stakeholders such as the Australian BIM Academics Forum to assist with technical syllabus definition, as well as uh, some good work, legacy work that's been that has occurred through ACIF uh, and the APCC with the BIM creds as uh, with BSA as well. So. It's really aimed at the Victorian government side on awareness of BIM and VNAS, how to have the right conversations, how to foster the right environment so that industry can do what industry does best in terms of BIM and digital engineering. It's a tough, t- it's a tough ask, I think, for industry to accept this and, and move forward. But the more and more I think about it, it's actually quite simple and you know, it's all it, it, the actual technical knowledge or the learning isn't actually going to be the hard part. It's actually the hardest part will actually be getting over that change. Yep. And uh, I guess moving on, I guess there's also uh, a component within within the strategic framework in regards to education. Yep. And I also know being up in Queensland that trying to get university courses to adopt new syllabus is very, very challenging. And move and trying to get that to move forward takes a number of years. And and I think one of the exciting things I think I've seen down here in Victoria now is the access to um, TAFE courses that the government I think has has made um, free for professionals. I believe to actually take on greater education and improve the construction industry, which I think should be applauded. It's outside of the scope of our conversation, but yeah. it should be mentioned. But what? is covered within the strategic framework with regards to the education map? At a basic level, the education map is just a summary of what are the education providers doing within Victoria uh, with respect to DE and BIM. And it allows Victorians, professionals, um, non-professionals to essentially get a good idea of what's out there, what the potential price is, uh, what the expected learning outcomes and how that best uh, improve their outcomes moving forward. You, you mentioned free um, courses. Yeah, I also applaud the Victorian government on this. Um, they have a big commitment towards free TAFE and TAFE learning outcomes as a pathway. Um, BIM is one of them. Uh, I guess one of the challenges that the education industry faces, and this is something that ABAF are working on, is individuals' learning outcomes when they need to be a professional. And I think one of the challenges of BIM is that you almost need a, a degree of knowledge in the construction and engineering and architectural and project space, a base level of knowledge before you actually apply some of the the concepts of 19650 and VDAS. You could read 19650 and you could read 1192 or you could read any of these things and you could think you have the workflows that happen in the real world, but it doesn't happen like that. Yes. And so it's pretty important to understand, I think, the way that the industry works and the siloedness of it and the players and what their incentives are and then put that in the context of 
of best practice around non-X50 DMV DAS and the Victorian context in policies and frameworks and acts and apply that in a pragmatic sense. That presents itself as a real challenge for the education industry. How do you attract some of those that talent back in a meaningful way where they're not giving up their day jobs for a long period of time? And so I think the education community in terms of upskilling uh, the professional um, engineering and architectural and construction community is, is going to be a challenging one over the next two or three years. Yeah, well, I did a presentation or a lecture the other week for um, a QUT BIM club up in Queensland. And I was just talking about the concepts of BIM. And it was quite interesting what you were just saying then. And because one of the key things that I think the BIM does bring out is it does bring out the weakness in the knowledge of people. Because in the past, you only had to resolve the pieces that you drew, for example, if you're a designer. And now the design professionals are actually having to create virtual models of what is going to be built. So there's nowhere to hide. Yeah. So the, the fundamentals for the, uh, and, I'll, and I'll use this term in, in, in this instance, but the architect of the future, and this could be the same for engineers or anything of the like or any tradesperson, first of all, to be successful in your career, you need to actually be good at your professional craft. So that can't be forgotten, which is essentially the first step you talked about. The next step, I believe, is actually have skills in actually understanding the tools. So in the past, it was a, a pen and, and pencils and, and set squares and all those sorts of things. And now it's software tools. And then the, the third component is, is that once you understand both of those items, it's understanding the processes. You know, you take that to a stonemason. You know, in the past, they would have done it by chisel. Now these days, majority of the stone might be cut using mechanical saws and stuff like that to yep. make it easier. But you have to understand the basics of how the process works, of how the thing goes together in a safe manner yep. to enable it to work. So it's going to be a piece-by-piece piece approach to achieving these these great outcomes. But I think we both know that the benefits will kind of essentially work out. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're dead right, Nathan. I think with the f- respect to those three things that you mentioned, the first one is something that should never go away and that's something that, um, that each individual stakeholder to the development of a project or an asset brings, and that should never be forgotten. The third one that you mentioned, I think, is particularly poignant because this is almost the source of truth. This is the thing that's not going to change over a period of time. So I think there's a there's a real um, there's there's a real value in having that individual understands what the greater purpose is, yeah, and who is downstream and upstream from them. Because I think the context of one, that first element, your, their, their professional skill will become a lot more relevant in that, in that reality. Whereas the, the second element, which you talked about, the tools and the software, it's probably important to note that I think that BIM and DE is, not, is about 10% about software and tools. And I think that's where it should be reflected in the education. You know, in two years' time, it may be a completely different landscape in the way that information is generated. It's just, it's just a tool. Yeah, so um, they're always changing and evolving, so you can't rely on that 100%. one thing alone. You don't define, say, a chippy by his nail gun. You define a chippy by his vision and able to interpret clients' needs and wants into a functional outcome. And the same should apply to anyone driving or, or using BIM. I like how I get distracted and go off on track on <laughs> these sorts of things. It's good fun having these conversations and having these kind of – these are the key poignant things that actually make – this all work, you know, apart from all the kind of technical jargon, if people take a step back for a second and think about just some of these kind of abstract concepts, 
it actually simplifies it, makes it a little bit less of a burden. Mm. I guess because there is no mandate, um, there's no line in the sand or there's no kind of project value or nominated commercial viability within this within the scope of this document. At this point in time, the individual agencies that are delivering the projects would refer to this document and then de- depending upon their belief would say, suggest that they would follow this agenda at yeah, this stage. That's correct. At this stage, uh, the view for VDAS guidance is that, uh, again, it will be non-mandatable so you can yep. continue to be BAU. But it's worth mentioning that industry en masse in general uh, typically uses the process and frameworks that are adopted. And so there's considerable upside in shaping how industry does that in a consistent fashion so that Victorian government departments and agencies as well as projects can make the most of those activities that are already occurring. In terms of the VDAS guidance, we are highlighting a bit of a framework, a decision-making framework, which is aligned to current Victorian government investment policy. Uh, and that is zero to $100 million is discretionary, 100 to 250 is recommended, and anything above 250 is generally recommended as around essential. And there's an important overlay around the complexity of that project itself. So if it's got a high degree of interfaces or community engagement, then obviously the need for digital engineering and BIM only increases after that fact. Um, but it's important to stress that it's non-mandated, um, but also um, that digital engineering, BIM and VDAS can afford departments and agencies a, a considerable upside. The one sentence that you mentioned then that actually resonated with, more with me than anything else was at the business case level, it's aligning with it. So it's demonstrating that the view of these processes is that they're there as an assistant to the existing processes rather than over, overriding them and completely changing them. So it's, a, it's about demonstrating to stakeholders that these approaches are not, they are new, but they're not revolutionary. You know, they're just kind of a, a slight evolution of the way we can deliver these projects and, and gain better value. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And so we've made... Where all the relevant policies stand in Victorian government, we've made a really big effort on aligning VDAS within that framework. So whether it is the investment management standard or the HVHR, the high value, high risk framework, or the Financial Management Act or the Asset Management Accountability Framework, we've made a really big effort to align ourselves with all of those things and make sure that this has been seamless from um, a commercial and procurement point as much as it is about a technical and uh, and delivery sort of point of view. So now I like to get into the more technical side of things again. And one of the things that I'm really grateful for is seeing that within the within the VDAS strategic framework, you've actually nominated a classification system and of Uniclass 2015. Now I'm guessing and that's a that's a big that's a big dangerous thing to do, but I'm guessing that that might be because of uh, the work that Simon Vaux's done up in New South Wales and he's invested a number of years and effort and energy in making a selection of that. So essentially the the work that um, has been done in New South Wales and, and VDAS making that suggestion, I hope we'll see further agencies across and, and state governments across Australia nominating one classification system because I'm hoping that all of the states then can provide feedback back to NBS in the UK then based out of here in Melbourne where there are gaps in the classification system rather than having everyone approach it different ways. So that's one positive. That's one of the things I think that's really great. 
then second to that, obviously, it's, it's talking about the ISO 19650 um, standards, which are currently obviously um, part one and part two. And I guess this is a, this is a, this might be a question that actually might not be unanswerable. It might be unanswerable <laughs> because it is early days. You know, it's it's early days, and 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 then it hasn't really jumped off yet. But and because it's non-mandate, I guess it's probably another challenging question. But do you think that because of the value of nineteen six fifty, you can actually scale up and down the use of that as a standard? As a client, you can choose to stipulate a whole pile of different information requirements across the delivery of the project and standards and stuff like that. Or you can basically say, I'd have the whole lot. And some uninformed clients at this stage just go, I'd like it delivered that way. Is it the intention that over time you might see that you will actually scale the use of that standard based upon the, the size and complexity of your projects? Yeah, that's a really good question. In my view, 9650 is a very scalable international standard and particularly when overlaid with 55,000 as an international standard it's very scalable Um, so whether you're doing a 50 million dollar project or a 20 million dollar project or a 200 million dollar project or a 4 billion dollar project the policies and thoughts and processes and tools that um, the 19650 employs are very applicable in any of these cases and so the concepts of OIR and AIR and PIR and all these other acronyms are particularly poignant for, for whatever project that we're going to implement. If you look at 19650, I think a lot of original BIM users would be very surprised by the tact that 19650 has taken around there's not one mention of a tool or a software in that. 19650 at the heart of it is the thread of information through the asset lifecycle. And I think when we distill it down, that's that's what we all value. That's what we should all value. And so I think it's very scalable for a $20 million project. I think it's very scalable to a $50 million project. I think it's very scalable to a $15 billion project. And I think the key tenets of what 19650 is trying to get to is that organisational level, portfolio level use of information that all projects circle back to that. They all have a very similar or consistent way in how information is is returned back to that host and the host itself is the repository of information. Um, And I think that's a step change in the way that we currently do things. Um, And I think it's a step change in the way that many people and organisations do things. And I think there's considerable value if we adopt that. On UniClass 2015, um, you're right, Simon Vo has done a considerable uh, and enviable and... Uh, impressive amount of work on on a consistent framework um, in terms of asset classification and the hierarchy. And so a lot of credit to Simon and his team on doing that. And the upshot of that effort was essentially there is two major standards, Omniclass and Uniclass 2015, and the latter itself was very, was very good and very amenable and very applicable to a broad church of yeah. asset classes. I think from a Victorian government point of view or any government's point of view or any organisation's point of view, the value isn't essentially having an a asset classification system that is so bespoke to you and your industry and your project. The value of an asset classification system is consistency and everyone doing the same thing. We're all calling the road the road. We're all calling the table the table. Yes. We're all calling the system the system. Because if one person calls that a lane versus a road or a freeway, then... It's very difficult to drive towards 
consistency. It's all very, very difficult to, to search things. It's very difficult to benchmark things. It's very, it's very difficult to demonstrate value for money without, in the absence of, of everyone calling the same thing the same thing. And so Unicast 2015 and through the NBS and Mike down here in um, Victoria, uh, who represents obviously Australia? Yep, they are exceptionally amenable to a conversation, and and so I suggest if you are the asset manager, you are the custodian of the asset classification system, whether it is government or non-government. I think driving towards a consistent asset classification system and hierarchy is so important, and it doesn't mean that you that you can give up or you do give up your the way that you operate or use your your current assets or your facility. If you need to manage 17 pumps below the classification system of pumps, then Uniclass allows you to do that. And if you manage to say a level two or a level three or level one, that's your prerogative. But at some level, we all need to be calling the same thing, the same thing. And so I commend also um, another Victorian government initiative around the Victorian building information systems. And that was a grant um, by the old Dejida Department of Economic Development, Jobs, um, Transport and Resources on construction innovation. And one of them is VBIS, Victorian Building Information System, led by both AMCA and um, AG Coombs. And basically this is geared towards an asset classification system that is sort of agnostic. So it actually links both Omniclass and Uniclass together in the way that you would actually run a building. And so full credit to VBIS, full credit to, to that team and AMCA and the Victorian government for their initiative on on defining an asset classification system that's homogeneous with others, as well as thinking about the end user and facilities manager of any given building um, in Victoria. And so that VBIS system is, you could strike the V off it, and essentially it would be equally applicable to a building in in America as it would be in, in Europe. So full credit to those guys. That's some interesting work. That actually could be an exported um, Very much so. outcome. 100%. Now, we could talk all day because it's a comprehensive document and the framework covers um, areas regarding uh, CDEs or common data environments, IP, which is obviously intellectual property, different levels of liability, and it references a detailed asset management accountability framework, which obviously could have us chatting for hours and hours and hours on end. Now, obviously, we've been going on for quite a while now, but are there any other areas or points that you'd like to raise regarding the strategy that we haven't covered before we um, close up? Yeah, so IP and legals is an interesting conversation and generally the elephant in a room um, with respect to BIM. It's important to note with BIM and DE that nothing changes. And that's, that's a profound thing to say, but nothing really does change. The way that we generate information, is kind of the same. The way that we treat, we should treat information and the ownership and um, the liability of such should remain the same. And so what VDAS is trying to do with respect to both those topics is to bring that conversation earlier. So before contract award, have those conversations, give ourselves confidence that industry have had those conversations. So if a particular designer or architect wants to retain uh, ownership over a particular design, then that's okay, but that conversation needs to happen much earlier and should form part of the VDAS suite of documents rather than unraveling halfway through execution and not being a benefit to anyone uh, and then unraveling the outcomes of the project itself. 
it's important to note that VDAS is doing quite a lot of work on um, understanding the legal and commercial and IP nuances around around the BIM use and uh, commercial use of, of BIM and DE, um, and that will be fully integrated in the in the VDAS guidance itself. So if there is an issue that traditionally arises with the use of BIM and DE in implementation, by way of example, then the lessons learned and the recommendations that fall out of that um, in the earlier phases of the life cycle will be integrated within VDAS guidance. So we, we have a high degree of confidence that we've, we've captured a lot of that feedback from industry uh, and integrated as, as best as we can in the VDAS guidance itself. No, well, thanks very much, Tim. It's, it's lots of good information there that hopefully industry down here in Victoria can um, take on board and, and, and gain an extra level of confidence. But, um, mate, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us today about the Victorian government's VDAS strategic framework. Now, at the moment, I guess you're speaking in your role on behalf of government. So, But I'm going to take a step back and ask you a personal question and this is the one question I ask everyone that's on my show as one of my guests, but what does BIM mean to you? BIM to me is a campfire that we all need. It's something that we all need to huddle around. It's something that we all need to use ideally as a source of truth. And it's something that we all need to drive innovation in our sector. And I think we all owe it to ourselves and our future to step up and apply innovative processes that can benefit the end user. And I really want to stress that the end user is a future Victorian. It's our kids, it's our, it's our brother's son, it's, it's, it's everyone, it's our, it's our family. How they interact with that scope is largely at our hands right now. And I see the processes that BIM and 19650 employ as very beneficial to the way that that scope in an efficient and effective manner is, is defined, developed, constructed, operated and maintained for the next 100 years. It's, it's always great talking to people uh, working government and seeing how much vision they have for the future. You know, and I think that's one of the things that I think that I find the most joyful thing about having these chats with the likes of yourself and Andrew Kerthois up in Queensland. But Tim, mate, I'm very grateful for you sitting down and spending the time to talk to me today. I understand how valuable your time is. And I'm very grateful that you've been able to sit down with me to have this conversation so we can share it with, with the broader audience that may not be able to have attended some of the events that you may have presented on in the past or heading into the future. But for more information on the Victorian Digital Asset Strategy, please head to our website and find a link to their website for further reading. I look forward to sharing our next podcast in a fortnight's time. Until then, good luck with your digital transition. For more information, or if you'd like to continue the discussion in the comments section, head over to our website, thedigitaltransition.com. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on our future podcasts. Digital transition.